0: So this week, as we continue in our study, this upside-down kingdom that we're talking about, um, it leaves you this question. It's kind of fun. If you look at this sheet for a second, you don't know how to hold it, right? (laughs) Um, Upside-down kingdom, it's disorienting, and and I kind of don't know whether I'm living in the right-side-up one or the upside-down one unless I spend some time really thinking about it and allowing myself to be challenged outside of what's comfortable for me. And so Jesus challenges us again this week on something very specific. Uh, he challenges us on how we pray. And this is kind of fun for us pastors because if you're a little bit mischievous, one of the most fun things you can do is call someone out to pray in public. It's like the greatest thing ever. It doesn't matter if they've been a Christian for a hundred years. You can, in fact, that's the first thing that happened to Tom when he became, before he became a pastor, his pastor in front of everybody called him out and said, hey, Tom, why don't you pray for us today? And you, you love that. You were thrilled about that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Tom, who you know as a great communicator, totally comfortable uh, in front of people and praying before the Lord, at one point had the knees knocking and had to deal with it. And here's the question. Why? Why has prayer become this sort of weird thing That we all sort of fear and don't know what to do with and don't know exactly how to engage in. We just know that it freaks me out a little bit. Or we know that we've tried it and it didn't do what we maybe thought it would do. But here's the thing Um, if you see our piece of art this week, that's by Kathy Marks. And I saw that picture, and what's the first thing I thought about? My three little girls. They're not little anymore. But I remember, I remember when I would drive home from work when I was in construction and I'd see their little faces peeking out the window and my truck would pull up and as soon as it hit stop, they'd be either coming out the door or at the door ready to meet me and they'd be going, daddy, daddy, daddy. And they'd grab me around the legs and I'd have to, you know, walk with them like this and they'd have a million stories to tell me about absolutely nothing. And I played with Legos today and these were the Legos and I have eight Legos and these are the colors of the Legos and then I went over here and then Rachel was mean to me and then no, I wasn't, he was mean to me and it was just like that and it's just this outpouring, this outpouring of love for me because I was their world when they were little. And the fruit of that relationship and all of that communication is it helped me to understand their needs as well. And it helped me to teach them what were really needs and what weren't. That's prayer. That's prayer. God, your Papa. Hugging him around the leg and spilling out your life in front of him, good, bad, and ugly, knowing that in his wisdom, he will process those things in love and help you to know where to go. That's prayer, and the fruit of it is he meets your real needs in you, through you, and many times in spite of you. Hear this word from Jesus and let him challenge your kingdom today. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they'll be seen by others. But truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father. How many names there are for God? And he chooses Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty uh, phrases as the Gentiles do. They think that they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Papa, we pray that you would challenge our kingdom this day, even in this thing we call prayer, this way that we are able to communicate with you, this thing we call fasting, the way we are to deprive, we're able to deprive ourselves of those things that fade away so that we might feast on those things eternal. And we pray, Lord, that you'd break away those barriers that keep us from running to your feet and telling you everything and then listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: I will tell you, when that pastor called on me to come up and pray, like I was in the third row on the north side of the sanctuary and it was packed, And he pointed. He's like, Tom, why don't you come? And I I mean, I'm not joking. Like, I literally turned around to see who Tom was because I thought, there's no way. There's no way. He wouldn't do this to me, you know, this cruel, evil man. And uh, it was the shortest prayer in the history of the church. And I don't remember a word of it because I was in the process of blacking out. So, So there you go. Uh, If you've been following along with us in this study of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, then hopefully by now you know what Jesus is after. And it's not your behavior, it's your heart. He's after your heart. Like, he talks about all of these different things, this whole list of different things that he tells us to do or to not do and all this stuff, and we've been studying all of these things, but he's not trying to get you to do a bunch of stuff. He's trying to get you to be something. And here's what he's trying to get you to be. He's trying to get you to be someone who has a heart like his. That's it. So he comes to you and me and he says, love your enemies. And we're like, hey, you know what? I might as well be transparent with you. You're God. (laughs) So you know this anyway. Okay, so Jesus, here's the deal. That's not in me. He's like, I know that's not in you. That's why I want your heart. Give me your heart. Let me transform your heart and make it more like my heart. And let me remind you who I am because this love is what transforms it. I am the one who suffered and died on a cross while you were yet my enemy let that sink in. Let that do its work. He says, give to the needy and don't do it to be noticed by people. And you're like, all right, okay, just going to be honest. I don't want to give to the needy. I want to keep it for myself. And if I have to give to the needy, so hear the language of obligation, begrudgingly, I'll do it because, you know, you tell me to. It's duty. It's responsibility. It's a have to. All right, if I have to do it, then I do want at least a few people to notice because that's the payoff. Lord, it's not in me. I I know that, so give me your heart. And let this one of infinite wealth, who left infinite wealth to become a peasant slave of the Roman Empire, a homeless man, to be humiliated, to suffer in unimaginable ways, to suffer and die and be raised again from the dead... Okay, he did that, guys, so that we might have a share in his immeasurable and infinite wealth, and not just here in this world, but for forever. Let that love transform you. It's not about what we're doing or not doing. It's about who we are. It's about our hearts. And the same is true with regard to prayer. We just heard that. I mean, Matt just read us that part of Jesus' sermon, and what does he say? He's like, hey, when you pray, don't pray to be seen by other people. What is he talking about? Our hearts, when you fast, don't fast to be seen by other people. Again, the heart, when you pray, pray that God's name will be exalted, not yours, that his kingdom will be advanced, not yours, that his will will be done in heaven and on earth. That includes, by the way, by you. Okay, not your will. And even when you get to the place where you can pray for your own needs, he's like, don't just pray for you. Pray for other people. You're like, okay, Lord, not in me. He's like, I know it's not in you. Give me your heart. So what I want to do is I want to talk about prayer, and I want to talk about our hearts. Prayer in our hearts. And here's the question that I want to ask today. Okay, so the question is this. It's why don't we pray? And I know that you want to say, but Tom, I do pray. And maybe you do pray. Maybe you devote hours to prayers, and maybe you are like into prayer. But I think a lot of us can really, really grow in this area. And so, yeah, okay, I pray, but yeah, it's just more or less routine. You know, it's the functional equivalent of, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, which is a terrible thing to put into your child, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It's like almost abusive, you know. That's why they come and wake you up at 3 a.m. And you know, they're like, they've been up since you laid them down. Wait, I might die? Like, Why don't we pray expectantly? Why don't we pray confidently? Why don't we pray fervently? Why are we not a people who are absolutely wholeheartedly devoted to prayer, here's my answer. It's just one answer. There are many, but I think they all kind of find themselves in this. I think, and I'm speaking to me too, I think that we don't pray like that because we are not fully yet convinced where. And here, that it really makes that big of a difference. We don't believe in its power Because here's the thing, I mean, if I really believe, I'll just use myself as an example, like if I really believed that my prayers went to the ears, and I say that metaphorically, of Almighty God, who controls absolutely everything, like not a molecule in the universe outside of his control, he controls it all, he ordains it all, things I don't like, things I love, everything in between, and he has the power to redeem even the things I don't understand and I'm confused by and I'm hurt by and I don't like and so are other people. He's amazing. And if, in fact, he is my father, as Jesus is telling us, he's predisposed to loving me. He has loved me and does love me more than anyone ever otherwise will. He's given the life of his son that he might have me. And just like every parent, he's going, ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me, because I want to say yes. And, yeah, he might answer me in a way that I'm not looking for or at a time that I'm not looking for. But, you know, if you have little kids, sometimes they come and ask you for things that aren't good and you give them something better. So he's immeasurably wise... And he answers, according to his greater wisdom, he's ordained the system by which I am forced in some sense to communicate with him. Why? Because communication is the basis of every good relationship, and that's what he wants with me. So he's ordained a system by which I communicate with him, and the God of the universe is therefore then moved. Okay, if that really was deep down in here, in me and in you, I would just ask you, what more important thing could we possibly do? with our time, with our energy, with our efforts, then pray. Like, what do you write down? Like, what's bigger? Certainly not my labors. So I think to some degree and another, and some are more devoted than others, and I get that. I think we're not wholeheartedly devoted to it, and I think we're not wholeheartedly devoted to it, notwithstanding the witness of the Bible, like God in His Word has come to us, and like everywhere in His Word He calls us to pray, tells us it makes a difference, gives us examples. I think we're not devoted wholeheartedly at least, notwithstanding the testimony that we have about the prayer life of Jesus, which was amazing, you might say, perfect, and who therefore then in the power of the Spirit lived the most miraculous life ever. We're not devoted, notwithstanding the witness of the early church. These guys were in fact devoted to prayer. That's the language used of them. And the Spirit came upon them so powerfully that He literally changed the world in their day. You can't deny that. Nobody will say, no, no, the early church didn't change the world. No, no that did. There's no question. And we're not wholeheartedly devoted to it yet, notwithstanding the witness of history. Movements of the Lord where God's people, man, they devoted themselves to prayer and the Spirit fell and revival broke out. I think for example, it's the one I'll give you, of the Welsh Revival. The Welsh Revival traced its roots back... To the Fulton Street Revival, which traced its roots to the prayers of one guy, (laughs) a businessman in New York City named Jeremy Lanfear. There's a picture of him. This guy loved Jesus and he wanted to see people love Jesus, and he sort of decried the spiritual state of his city and of his nation. And he said, You know what? There's got to be other people in New York City who love Jesus and who decry the spiritual state of our city. So I'm going to rent a hall, like a big room on Fulton Street. I'm going to run advertisements. I'm going to put up posters. I'm going to show people that, hey, we are doing a lunchtime prayer meeting, noon to one. Come for as long as you can. And certainly a bunch of people are going to show up. So he does this. He shows up day one. He's been up all night. He's super jacked. I mean, like, this is it. Six people. Six! In the whole of New York City. I mean, like, I wasn't there, but I'm just sort of picturing him going, ah. Oh. Let's just pull into the broom closet, guys. Grab a couple of chairs. But he didn't give up. Those six prayed. And they began meeting for prayer. Three weeks later, he had 40. That's an increase. And the 40 were all in. The 40 said, listen, we're going to do this every day. Every day, at lunch, we're going to pray for revival in our city, in our nation, and in the world. After six months... 10,000, 10,000, and the revival was on, and not just in New York City, but the whole state of New York, and then it spread. It's called the Third Great Awakening. It's the only one to start in the United States. It spread throughout the United States, so south and north and, and west, 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 but it also got on boats, and it spread east over to Europe and went to all these different countries, including Wales, where there was a coal miner turned pastor. His name was Evan Roberts. He had been praying for revival for 13 years, 13 years. And about a year and a half before it actually arrived, prayer groups broke out all over the little country of Wales and they all started praying for revival. It's remarkable. One observer said this, he said, if it be asked why the fire of God fell on Wales, the answer is simple. Fire falls where it is likely to catch and spread. As one has said, Wales provided the necessary tinder. Here were thousands of believers unknown to each other in small towns and villages and great cities crying to God day after day for the fire of God to fall. I love this. He says, this was not merely a little talk with Jesus. This was not now I lay me down to sleep. This was not God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food, which doesn't even rhyme. This was not, you know, here's the church, you know, and here's the steeple and look inside and here's all the people. And I just want to stop and say in all seriousness, that's what a lot of our prayer life is. It just, it is. I do it because I know I'm supposed to. So I throw a little something at it just in case something might happen. This was not merely a little talk with Jesus, but daily agonizing intercession... You know what story comes to mind for me? It's the story of Jacob who wrestles with the angel of the Lord all night long. And he's he's injured by the angel of the Lord. His hip is dislocated, the source of his power. And he says to him, nevertheless, I will not let you go until you give me the blessing. That's it. That's these guys. That, I think, is the kind of prayer that brings revival. G. Campbell Morgan who was the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London at the time, heard what was happening in Wales, and you know, he was like, I mean, this sounds a little too incredible. Like, it's it's too much. I'm just I'm gonna go look at it myself. Like, I'm gonna go experience this personally. So he traveled to Wales and he experienced it personally, and he came back to his church, and on Christmas Sunday, 1904, he said this in his Christmas sermon. He said, if you and I could stand above Wales looking at it, you would see fire breaking out here and there and yonder and somewhere else without any collusion or prearrangement. It is a divine visitation in which God, and then He stops, and He says, let me say this reverently, in which God is saying to us, see what I can do without the things you are depending on. See what I can do in answer to a praying people. See what I can do through the simplest who are ready to fall in line and depend wholly and absolutely on me. It's not just a message to his church. It's a message to every church. Some think the Welsh Revival officially began on a Sunday morning in 1904 at a prayer meeting that Sunday probably before the church service at a church pastored by Joseph Jenkins. And he got up at the prayer meeting... And he said, okay, so here's the deal. Before we get going on the prayer part, what I, what I really want to hear this morning are just testimonies of Jesus. Like, I just want you to say, here's who Jesus is to me. Here's what Jesus is doing in my life. This is what Jesus is telling me. This is what he's up to. This is how I'm feeling and experiencing him. Give me some testimonies of Jesus. And, like, nobody did. They wanted to talk about other things. Hey, I want to pray for Aunt Sally's foot, you know, and like, I mean, that's important, but he just shut it down. He's like, no, we're not going to pray for that. We're not going to pray for your business. We're not going to pray for this. Right? Gonna... I want testimonies about Jesus. Nobody said a word. <laughs> it was like super awkward silence for a long time. And then this young girl named Flory Evans, who was obviously scared out of her mind, sort of like when I got up to pray at that church service, stood up, and with great courage... In a trembling voice, all she said was, I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart. She sat down. There was a journalist named W.T. Stad who was there And he wrote this. He said, The pathos and the passion of that avowal of that young girl acted like an electric shock upon the congregation. One after another rose and made the full surrender to Jesus. And the news spread like wildfire from place to place that revival had broken out. And then souls were being gathered to the Lord. And that's one of the marks of revival. Evangelism is one of the marks of revival. In two months in this revival, in this little country of Wales... We had 70,000 people put their faith in Jesus for the first time. Over 100,000 over the course of this revival. But not just evangelism. I love this. This revival was marked by a widespread passion for singing. You know, the Christian faith has produced the most beautiful music in the world. I'm just going to say it. It has. Why? Because when Jesus gets you in here, like it just it comes out here and you can't help to keep it in. Like, like when He really gets you, like when, when His love for you is fresh and it's real, it's not dumbed down by, by busyness, it's not been set aside in a heart that's been hardened over. When He breaks through and captures you with what He's done for you, with who you are in Him... With how beautiful he in fact is. Look, I'm just gonna say it. You show up on time for church, and I don't say that to like shame you if you don't, but you do, and here's why because you want to. And it doesn't matter who's leading worship, it doesn't matter what the style of music is, it doesn't matter what the song is, it doesn't matter what the decibel level is, and incidentally, the only thing that we ever receive complaints about is the decibel level. So don't feel like I'm trying to address a bunch of stuff. I'm not. You're just showing up going, can we start now? <laughs> Can we add some songs? Because Christ is so alive in here. I just want to sing, man. I got to let it out. One person described it this way he said, The fact is, unless heard, it is unimaginable. And when it is heard, (laughs) it's indescribable. There was no hymn book. Just anybody started the singing, and very rarely did it happen that the hymn started, no one knew by whom, was out of harmony with the mood at that moment. Once started, as if moved by a simultaneous impulse, the hymn was caught up by the whole congregation, almost as if what was about to be sung had been announced, and all were responding to the baton of a visible human leader. He says, I've seen nothing like it. You felt that the 1,500 or so persons before you had become merged into one myriad-headed but simple-souled personality. Such was the perfect blending of the mood and purpose that it bore eloquent testimony to a unity created only by the Spirit of God. I want to worship like that, man. That's awesome. And that brings me to the third feature of this revival, which is that it was marked by an overwhelming sense of God's presence. One pastor said this, he says, I have no more doubt of its being a work of God than I have of my own existence. He says, as to describing the revival and estimating its results, can you put into words those deep and hallowed experiences of life realized when God meets you almost palpably and sways your whole being crossward, heavenward, and the atmosphere trembles with light and life and joy and love and praise and reverence and awe. The Welsh revival also inspired resolutions on the part of the people who were revived. In other words, holiness mattered suddenly to these people. Like, the way they lived mattered suddenly to this people. Why? Because we need to do the right thing and we need to… No, because here's what happens. As your love for Jesus increases, as your heart softens toward Him, as you're moved heavenward and crossward, as this man just testified to, as that love for Christ increases, your hate for sin increases too. Because that Jesus you love died for this stuff. So how can you be cavalier about it? So these people got together and they said, we need to make some resolutions. Let's all resolve continually, continually resolve to confess, number one, all known sin. Like I sin and I stop and go, guys, you know what? I'm sorry. I've got to confess this to you and I need to confess this to the Lord. That was pride. (laughs) And the spirit just went pride and I've got to go. I'm confessing that. I'm renouncing that. I'm asking him to remove that from me. They resolve continually to put aside all doubtful habits. What, what What are those? They're habits that are doubtful. (laughs) You know what they are, don't you? Paul says whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I love that. Is there anything worthy of praise? I think this is a good filter think I can look at what I'm doing and say, can I praise God for this? Because if I can't, maybe it's a doubtful habit. What about this over here? This is how I entertain myself, or this is how I do this, or this is how I medicate, or this is how I, Can I praise Him for this? Can I praise Him for this? Is it honorable? Is it true? Is it just? Is it lovely? Is it holy? Is it pure? Is it commendable? Is it excellent? Thirdly, they resolve together… To promptly obey the Holy Spirit. Jesus, you want me to say something, I say something. You want me to do something, I do something. You want me to give something, I give something. You want me to just sit and be quiet and listen, I do that. You want me to rearrange my day and, and pray more, I do that. Whatever it is, Lord, I'm trying to walk with you through this day. You're not just somebody that I meet with on a Sunday morning and then I'll see you again the next Sunday morning. But I realize that you live in me and that life comes in and through you and that I'm here for you. I'm like the body that you occupy. Christ has a public ministry on this earth, guys. And it's the ministry that he does by his spirit through us. And then finally, they resolved continually to make Christ publicly known, to tell people about him, to show him off, to lift him up, every chance they had. So the effect that this had on society was remarkable. It said that during the time of the revival, the police were left with almost nothing to do. Think about that. The courts were mostly empty. Public drunkenness, which was like a big deal then, disappeared for the most part. Old debts, many of which had been forgotten and even forgiven, were paid in full. That's revival. Traveling theatrical companies canceled their engagements in the country of Wales because nobody was going. They were all going to church. They're like, I can go to a worship service like that, or I can go to a play. And I mean, I like plays and everything, but... Remarkable. I love this. It was said that horses everywhere were thrown into a state of complete confusion because they were used to responding to the profanity of their masters, and profanity also largely disappeared. Uh, In one rugby match, uh, one pastor said that he heard one person out of like 40,000 curse, at which point the guy immediately repented. It's amazing! Of the 40,000 at the rugby match, 10,000 started singing hymns. Relationships were healed. Marriages were restored. I'll give you one last description. This person said it was plainly evident now to everybody that God had answered the agonizing prayers of His people and had sent a mighty spiritual upheaval. A sense of the Lord's presence was everywhere. His presence was felt in the homes, on the streets, in the mines, factories, and schools, and even in the drinking saloons. So great was his presence felt that even the places of amusement and carousel became places of holy awe. Many were instances of men entering taverns, ordering drinks, and then turning on their heels and leaving them untouched. Wales, up until this time, was in the grip of football fever when tens of thousands of working-class men thought and talked of only one thing. They gambled also on the result of the games... But now the famous football players themselves got converted and joined the open-air street meetings to testify to the glorious things the Lord had done for them, and many of the teams were disbanded as the players got converted and the stadiums were empty. Is your mind big enough to imagine that? Hey, man, you going to the Dolphins game? No, and all the players are at Calvary Chapel right now, so we're... There is no game. Heat? They're at Coral Ridge. We'll take the Panthers, right? Now, Marlins, eh, you know, they've got a great stadium. Um, they do. It's awesome. This isn't fiction. This isn't a fairy tale story. The reality is this wouldn't work as fiction because you'd read it and go, oh, come on, that's just so stupid. Like, this is not believable. Fiction has to at least be believable. This is real. So, G. Campbell Morgan, who went and saw it, came back and preached to his congregation on Christmas Day, closed his Christmas sermon with this. He said, let no man hear of what happened in Wales and try to start it in his own land. Why? Because no man started it in Wales. I want to ask you, can you start something like that? You have the ability to do that? Can reach into the heart of a person who's running away from God as fast as they can and, and just change it so now they're running at him with just the same passion? Are you able to take a heart of stone and make it flesh? Are you able to take that which is dead, not just sick, dead, and make it to come alive? Are you able to do that? Because believe it or not, that's your job. That's what you're called to. That's not just my job. I'm the patent. No, no, no. I'm here to equip you to do that. That's my job. And to do some of it myself. But my job is equip you to do that. Can you do that? You can't do that. But God can do that. God can do that. And He does that, I think, for people who are wholeheartedly... Devoted to that, who believe that so passionately that they will not let go until they get the blessing. We've got to stop with this idea that prayer is not powerful. Don't tell that to God. He says it is. Don't tell that to Jesus. He shows it is. Don't tell that to the early church. They knew it. Don't tell that to the people in Wales or anyone else in any of the great revivals. They'd say, "What are you talking about?" And then they tell you things that are not fiction. We need to stop telling ourselves that, and we need to start praying. And not just, now I lay me down to sleep, but I got to get real with the Lord, and it's the most important thing I do. And maybe you're thinking, all right, how do you do that, Tom? Because, like, I don't know how to pray. (laughs) And I thought, by the way, that that's what this sermon was going to be about. It's about the Lord's Prayer, and you haven't even discussed that, really. I mean, you maybe referred to it, but that's about as much as you did. And that's true. But I want to ask you, do you have our phone app? Because if you have our phone app and if you get our personal worship pushes, then on Wednesday of this week, and so what I'm doing is encouraging you to do it if you don't, on on Wednesday of this week, we pushed out a message that I did in detail on how to understand and know how to pray through the Lord's Prayer from last May. And we have pastoral reflections. We send them out every Wednesday. Amazing material on exactly that same thing. We have a podcast. We released two episodes this week on prayer. One of them is on the Lord's Prayer. Take advantage of these resources, guys. You need so much more than what you're just getting on a Sunday morning. And if you're really sitting there going, look, you've motivated me to pray. I got it. Like I feel like the Spirit is going, yes, you need to do that. But I just don't know how to do that. Take advantage of those resources. And you say, all right, but what else? Like, when can I pray? Well, I mean, you can pray any but if you're looking for ways to pray around here or even on your own, personal worship daily. Have you looked at it lately? It's really good. A unique passage of Scripture for each day. Study questions for each day. A model prayer for each day. Five days out of the week, Monday through Friday. And it all dovetails into what we talk about on Sunday. Every Wednesday in the 700 house, the house immediately east of here, owned by the church, my wife is gathering together with a group of moms of kids of all ages. Your child might be in their 60s or they might be, you know, like six days or something, in which case everybody's going to want to hold them, so just know that. But they're gathering together and they're coming together to learn how to pray for their kids more effectively, more powerfully, and then actually to do it. And to pray for one another throughout the course of the week, every Friday, our staff and some of you guys, it's open to everyone from 8.30 to 9.30 in the Ingram Cafe, gather together for praise and for worship and to pray. We have a prayer room dedicated upstairs and on it's like this big whiteboard with all of these different prayer requests. There's stuff on how to pray for the persecuted church. There's prayer requests from these cards that you fill out every week that get prayed for by people who go up there during the course of the week and then we pray for them again on Friday. All of this is available. And prayer during and following our service. Every time we have a church service now, we have a little room over there in the corner of the building, our intercession room which is kind of fancy language I get, but it's a prayer room and people go in there and they pray. They're praying for you right now. We, we need more people to do that. People who can come in one service and pray through it and stay for the next and worship or vice versa. Let us know. Love to have you. And then every service, we've got folks who are just part of our prayer team, just regular people like me, like you who kind of line the walls, you know, and, and they stand there and they cover us with prayer as we reflect on, on what the Lord might be saying to us, as we try to interact with, with the voice of Jesus that is the voice of the Spirit in, in us. And they make themselves available to pray with you. Like if you're going, yeah, man, I am burdened by something and I need somebody to pray for me, that's what they're here for. I need to bring my heart to Jesus, and I just, this is it. I need to make the move, and I'm going to do it. And that's what they're here for. And I want to encourage you, you know, just slip out and go pray with them. Uh, The rest of us are not paying attention to you. Um, So here's what I want to do. I want to move into our time of reflection and I want to give you three questions, and, and I want you to know that the three questions are not like a list of things to feel guilty about. Like, that's the last thing anybody needs, isn't it? It's like, good grief, I feel like I'm failing in a thousand ways, and I come to church, and I'm a, I'm a bigger failure than I, than I thought I was when I walked in. Okay, don't do that, okay? <laughs> that is not the gospel. It's not. They're questions to kind of interact with your heart and to say, all right, Lord, wh- what, what needs to be worked on here? Like, because this is a good thing free me, forgive me, cover me, teach me. So the first question is the same one I asked last week, first time. Jesus' sermon is about the heart, and I just want to ask, have you given Jesus your heart? It's what he's after. It's what he wants. It's what he renovates, and then with it, your whole life. The second thing is what does your prayer life say about what you believe to be true about the power of prayer? You know, maybe today is the day that it's, you know, it's not, here's the church and the steeple and the people. But we've got to move out of that and into that which is authentic and that which is heartfelt and that which is real. He's not up there grading your prayers going, oh, that was a dumb comment, you know, like, you're his child. There is just nothing about your voice that isn't beautiful to Him. So what does your prayer life say about what you believe about the power of prayer? Because everything everywhere is saying it's powerful, like it makes a difference. And then the last one is are you willing to devote yourself to praying, first of all, for your own revival? I think it's where it begins. It's kind of like, God, I, I, I need to be revived. I want to be revived. Or maybe you're sitting there going, I don't know that I want to be revived. So you'll step back and go, all right, Lord, I'm going to pray that I want to become revived. Pray for the revival of you. Are you willing to pray for the revival of the people that you live with, of the people you work with, the people you hang out with, your friends and neighbors? for this church, for our school, for the church in Broward and in South Florida and all the Christian schools. We're all on one team, guys. We love these guys. Let's pray for them. Let's pray that the Lord would give us South Florida. Crazy. And I'm a football fan, okay? So… because if He's the God of the universe, Like if really it is the case that not a molecule is outside of his control. You think he's going, oh man, I hope they don't ask for that because I don't think I can do that one. Or do you think he's going, finally, (laughs) finally, they're asking for that because I've been wanting to do that one. Why don't you stand and let's pray together. And I want you to take some time in this prayer to just interact with it, okay? You on your own. I'm just going to be quiet in moments and take advantage of those moments and you speak to the Lord. God, we come to you and we pray that you would give us faith that we might give you our heart. Not some of it, not parts of it that we feel comfortable handing over. But the whole of it, this life is short, and forgiveness is real, and eternity is actually present. God, your Spirit lives, and He speaks, and He's speaking to us. I pray, Lord, for each one of us that we might give you our hearts. Take a moment and talk to Him about that. Lord, give us faith to believe that you hear. God, that you receive us as your children. Lord, that we might not just run to you like little kids to a father, but that you run to us to take us up in your arms. That you condescend to meet with us, to listen to us, and you have nothing but time. You're not so constrained. That in your infinity, you are able to focus 100% of you on us. And that in you, we find everything we need. Lord, give us faith that you move in response to our prayers. And that you want to see us revived people in our homes revived, in our offices, in our county, in this part of the world. Lord, revive us and then through us, revive this place. I want you to think about a person, one person, just one, that you know needs to be revived. It may be you, in which case go talk to, pray with one of these people on the sides. But but I want you to pray for that person. And I want you to pray that, that you will have an opportunity this week, not next week, not next year, today, tomorrow, the next day, this week, to tell them how Jesus has changed your life and to give them the same invitation. Maybe invite them to Alpha, say, I'm going to go with you. But right now, I just want to take a moment. I want you to pray for that person, whoever that person is. Lastly, Lord, I pray that by your Spirit, as you revive us, that you would make us a people who are quick to repent, that you would make us a people who set aside our doubtful habits in love for you, finding our needs there, that we might, Lord, be those who are promptly obedient to your Spirit as he moves us. Teach us your voice give us faith to respond and then to make Christ publicly known. Do this, we ask, Lord, for your glory, for the glory of our Savior in Jesus' name.